What's up, everybody? You're listening to World Your Oyster, and I'm your host, Paula Sanders. And today is a particularly special day as we begin our Oyster Archive series. In this series, we'll revisit some of the most powerful and impactful episodes from season one. And there's no better way to start than with an emotional and inspiring story about resilience and triumph. Today's featured episode is titled Danielle Nair, A Survivor in Stilettos. This courageous woman faced a challenge that few can even imagine, surviving ovarian cancer not once but twice before the age of 21 years old. It is a story of strength, hope, and determination as Danielle opens up and shares her cancer journey with the world for the very first time. Despite facing unimaginable odds, Danielle's spirit never wavered. She fought with everything she had, and today she's living her dreams in the heart of New York City as the deputy editor at The Editorialist. Her story will touch your heart and inspire you to overcome any obstacles that life throws in your way. As you listen to this powerful episode, I encourage you to take a moment to reflect on the strength within you and the resilience that can be found in the face of adversity. Danielle's story reminds us that no matter how challenging life can be, there's always a glimmer of hope and a path to a brighter future. So, Without further ado, let's step back in time and join Danielle Nair as she takes us on her journey of survival, hope, and triumph. Danielle, I love you. I'm one of your biggest fans, and I will never forget this time that we shared together. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. Grab your tissues, everybody, because this is a good one, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, you, my love. I'm good. I'm so excited to be here with both of you. Paula is one of my favorite people on this earth. So (laughs) excited to have you. Thank you. Yes. And I'm so excited to have you meet Monica as well, because she's one of my favorite people. And, um, you know, I think that the two of you are incredible humans. And I think that there will be um, a lot of connection between the two of you. So I'm very excited to have you here. And just to give you a little bit of a backstory, um, you know, Danielle and I have actually known each other for a long time. We're both Long Island girls. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we actually grew up in the same communities together. I'm just a little bit older than her. <laughs> um, you never know. <laughs> exactly. And you never know how, you know, the world is going to reconnect people. But you know, before we jump into kind of your upbringing and all of that, I want to just talk a little bit about your fabulous career because it. Uh, I have been watching you from afar for a long time and it's always made me so proud to see you shine. So I would love for you to start by telling the people what it is exactly that you do and kind of how you've gotten there. So walk us through, because Danielle's still a youngin. So why don't you just take us back to, to college um, and tell us, you know, what you did after you got out of college and how you have grown into this fashion it girl. For sure. So, well, thank you for the very glowing intro. Um, I went to school at Rutgers University in New Jersey, and I really always knew that I wanted to be a writer. It was really something I enjoyed from a very, very young age. Um, I was in fifth grade, like always just telling stories, and that was always my passion. So trying to figure out how to pivot writing into like a full-fledged career that's sustainable and rewarding was the next step of that. So for me graduating, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, am I going to be a novelist? Am I going to do this or that? And it was a dream of mine to work at Condé Nast for a very long time. I loved The New Yorker as a kid. Um, So for me, I was like, let me just try to get in there and get my foot in the door somehow. Um, So sure enough, I got my first job there on the sales team and I was a sales associate, kind of just like helping out in the office with like all kinds of things, but it wasn't anything writing related. So getting closer to the publications I adored and just trying to really get a feel for this like kind of high fashion ecosystem and seeing how people operate in that world was really interesting to me because where I'm from on Long Island, it's very casual. It's a very different vibe as Paula will attest to. (laughs) Um, So for me, it was just like this totally new world and it was really impressive to just see a very women-led environment. And I think that kind of version of writing was really appealing to me um, and that version of media because I had worked a little bit in the entertainment world and wasn't as big of a fan that I loved something about this like editorially charged and creative women-led environment. So, and it was also just very fashionable, the whole thing, (laughs) the the World Trade Center office, everything was, it was like a dream, you know? 
Um, so once I was on the team there, I kind of just bothered enough editors until somebody was willing to take a chance on me. Um, so my lovely editor at Vogue, Lila, she gave me my first byline there and that was it. She just said, you have time tonight to go to like a fashion party and write about it. And I was like, yeah, I definitely can make that work. I can move things around. And then- What um, was the party? That was my it was a It was a gala for um, a young ballet studio and it was on the Upper West Side. Um, and Damon John from Shark Tank was one of the hosts of it. So I had to interview him and I was so nervous. I was shaking. I was like, I've never talked to somebody famous, you know, and like so going from <laughs> there, funny. it was hilarious. And so going from there um, to like really just becoming one of their freelance parties reporters. Um, so I was doing that at night, writing stories to do at 10 a.m. and then going and working the full day at Condé Nast. So it was a very nonstop period of my life. I was like, in a ball gown on a Tuesday at Cipriani downtown on Wall Street. That's where we met. Yeah. <laughs> well, we met. That's wow. Where... Wait, that's so full circle. Yes, it's actually so crazy. So I didn't see Danielle in years. Danielle is a, was a very good friend of my youngest brother who, is, what do you guys know? 25, 26, 26, yeah. 26 years old. I am 11 years older. So, you know, I didn't pay any attention to Danielle. I just knew she was this adorable girl. And <laughs> we could go into a little bit more why I really knew her. Uh, in a little bit, but I hadn't seen her in a very long time. And I was actually happened to be having a fabulous night at this ball at, at uh, Cipriani on Wall Street. And I saw Danielle yeah. and I was like, what are, what are you doing here? I was like, she's, like, she's like, oh, well, I work for Vogue and I'm, a, I'm a, the, the party writer. And I was like, oh, well, maybe we need to know each other. And, you know, the rest was history. And then I go and follow her on Instagram. She's got like 10,000, 11,000 followers. I'm like, wait, how did I not know that she was been, has been living this incredible life? So, uh, you know, I would love to also just explain to us, because you said that you were on the ad sales, mm-hmm. working in ad sales. So yeah. how did you then, I know that, yes, you were writing the bylines, but mm-hmm. explain to us a little bit what maybe that day-to-day was like. Did you necessarily like the ad sales? Right. Or were you really, once you got the bug to start doing the writing, was that like, you know, Totally. I think it's interesting because I always credit a lot of like my experience in the media world. And I'm thankful to have that ad sales background now because it's it's good to know who keeps the lights on. So I shout out the advertising sales team all the time because we want to be able to write amazing content. And I think really understanding how that gets financed and like how our advertisers do play a role in that world is so important. And like knowing that kind of symbiotic relationship really helps me when I'm talking to brands and when I'm, you know, speaking with the team on like, you know, if I'm really passionate about a certain designer and I'll kind of lob them over to, to our ad sales team to do a paid partnership and like help Mm. them hit their goals. And like, so it's nice to have that holistic view of it because I do think a lot of editors are just kind of like, I write and I don't know what's going on on that floor in that room. And um, I like to kind of, you know, have that team mindedness and like really support each of the teams. So, but in terms of our day to day, I think it was very, um, very corporate. It felt like a lot of, you know, not as creative as what I wanted to be doing. Um, I really wanted to be telling the stories. Like instead we were, you know, sitting down saying, okay, if um, Glamour has this kind of thing coming up, this, uh, this big storytelling moment, this key tent pull, how can we sell that partnership to, you know, a major beauty brand or how do we, you know, get something really new and exciting um, or do like a fun collaborated event. So it still was inventive in a certain way, but it wasn't, wasn't writing, you know, like I always knew I was like, I'm always, I want to come back to that. Like I want to come home to like my original passion. And so I think for me, while it was fulfilling and I learned a lot of key things from being on that team, it was just not where I was meant to be at the time, you know? And (laughs) I had, um, there was a time where I took an interview to do, I was like convinced I was never going to make it as a writer because I like couldn't get an editor to take a chance on me. And I was just like so green. So I was like, maybe I'll just be stuck in ad sales. Maybe I'll just, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I went on an interview at the Wall Street Journal for like a higher up sales role. And I was kind of like moving through, moving through. And the final round was with the chief business officer. And he said to me, he, he his name is Anthony Chaname. He said, um, he's like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. He's like, I don't think you know yet what you want to be doing, or maybe you do. He's like, I don't think, he's like, I think you're very passionate and great. But he's like, I have the sense that there's something else you're supposed to be doing. And I want you to like figure out what it is. Wow. Yeah. And so I like left the inner, but I was crushed. This was like going to be a life-changing role for me at the time. It really felt like this thing of like, oh, if I get this job and like the great paycheck and like, you know, mm-hmm. so 
I left that interview and I was hysterically crying. And I like called my dad and I was like, he told me. Da, da, da. And my dad was like, well, he's right. You know, like go find out what it is you're supposed to be doing. And so then I was like, all right, let me try this editorial thing like one more time. Um, so and then I networked with the editors at Vogue and the rest is kind of history. But, That's a great experience. Yeah. Thanks. Rejection is protection. I always say right. when it comes down to those moments. That's, That's such, phenomenal. I love that saying. It's true. It definitely is good to be like redirected and to have, you know, someone say to you, like, to me, it's helpful. Like, I'm so grateful that he was able to be that honest with me because I was like, you're right. Like, I'm, if you don't even know me and you can see that, then like, clearly this is meant. Like, I, and I now in hindsight, I'm like, thank goodness, because I'm so thrilled and so grateful for my career. Um, and I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So it, it was all just meant to happen that way. Are you still connected with him by chance? I'm actually not, but I did run into um, one of the members on his team who was helping kind of push me through the process. I ran into him at an event at, oh, where was this? The St. Regis. And he was like, I remember you from that, you know, interview. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you. So like, he was like, oh, you left such, such an impression on me. And like, I was so excited to see what you would do. And so we caught up about my career now and he was very supportive, but he was like, you should have done sales. I was like, I know, I'm sorry, but it wasn't for me. Well, maybe you write for the Wall Street Journal one day, like in the style section. I I mean, I love WSJ Mag. Shout out to Lane Florsheim. She's an awesome editor there. So yeah. We'll We'll send her the podcast. Yeah, look out. (laughs) We'll definitely send it. So how, for how many years were you at Condé Nast? And then tell us how you got to your next Yes. So I was with Condé for a year and a half. I actually received like, So I was freelance writing for them and I wanted to take that full editorial jump. So I got a job at the Zoe Report as a a staff part-time fashion news writer. And so it was fully remote though, and this was pre-pandemic. And so then when I did accept that role and like, I remember my team at Condé was like, you're crazy. You're going to work somewhere that's fully remote. Like, how are you going to do that? And I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. I'm sure it'll be okay. And that was February, 2020. So sure enough, like after that. The rest is history. Um, Timing. Yeah, timing was insane. But yeah, so I wound up at TZR, um, had a lovely experience there. It was very much like news writing, celebrity style, things like Mm -hmm. that, covering launches. But it really laid the foundation for the rest of my career because I just did so much output. Like I wrote like a thousand articles in a year or something like that. So yeah, so it was really special to have that experience and I took some time off after TZR to freelance for a bit. Um, so I was writing for like Who, What, Where, Refinery29, and Editorialist. And that was how I kind of became acquainted with the team there. And they were looking for a, you know, full-time senior fashion editor. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't have nearly enough experience. You know, like all the things that you think when you doubt yourself, which I think a lot of women can naturally do. And, you know, I just was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know. And they like wanted me to kind of try out for that role. And sure enough, I did get it. And so it was like total 360 from being like freelance, part-time, remote to going in office and like leading a team. And so for me, I think there was so much imposter syndrome at first with like, you know, not knowing if I was going to be able to do it and being so young in this senior editor role and like not, you know, just being afraid (laughs) that I wouldn't be able to um, like prove myself or like really do a good job and do right by the company and the team. And I think like, it's so funny to look back on that now. Cause I just feel like I have such a great situation, such a wonderful team behind me that believes in me and is like, Danielle's on it. Like she, you know, and so it feels good to be like, yeah, I can do this. Like, why do we doubt ourselves? You know, I was going to interrupt and I know that you, you always are talking to me about imposter syndrome and absolutely. And um, so. it's real. It's a real thing. And to hear you talk about that, I think is important for other women to hear because the more we hear that we have that, the more we can just debunk it for each other and just eliminate that because we really do have all that we need to succeed and move forward. It's so true. And mm-hmm. I do think that it's funny when you like share it with a friend who has seen your full trajectory and they're like, why would you think that? Like why, you know, and like they can remind you or even like, I always say when I did reconnect with Paula and like seeing how invested she was in my career and how much she supported it, like that even validated it for me to be like, oh, okay, I am at this place. Like I, I have achieved a certain amount in my 26 years and like it is real. And sometimes I think when you're like in the day to day of something, it can, you can lose sight of that and lose sight of how much you've accomplished and how far you've come. But there's nothing more special than like taking that time to really reflect and be like, okay, I got here and I am doing a great job. And like, you have to give yourself grace for that. You got to drink your own juice. That's, yeah. 
<laughs> that is what I have learned over the last couple of months. You have got to drink your own juice, like truly, because no one else no is going to drink it. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a fact. Um, tell us a little bit about the editorialist. Obviously, I know about it because mm-hmm. you and I talk so much, but I think that it's such a cool platform. So yeah. I would love for you to speak a little bit more on that too. Absolutely. So editorialist is a luxury e-commerce and media company. It's really an interesting hybrid between editorial and tech, which to me was appealing because I think when you are in the media world and it's been, it's very susceptible to change. I think print is changing a lot. And so I was interested in working for the company because they have this incredible styling technology with a lot of ultra high net worth clients where we really are tailoring their closets every day and giving them high, high touch recommendations that are luxurious and that will withstand the test of time. So the kinds of content that we're creating is really Yes, it's for a multitude of different people from different places in the in life, but with it's with this layer of aspiration that it's like everyone crying, you know, you want to be a private client eventually, let's say. So like for us, it's like, okay, if you're let's say you dream of getting the Birkin, but like here's the starter bag. And like here's here's like the the silver tier version of that. And so just meeting people where they are with like luxury content that is really sophisticated and giving people a version of it that works for everyone. Because like luxury shouldn't be exclusive to a few people. I think it's something that there's a version of it, whether you make X dollars or triple that. And so for me, it's really rewarding to kind of think through what what versions of luxury might be. Like for someone, it might be a pair of like a Goldie jeans or Silver Lake jeans, which I think is like awesome. And that's kind of what, as a 26 year old, like I can relate to that. I think that I, you know, have been very fortunate and worked with so many great brands and worn amazing things in my career. But like, if I'm shopping for myself, like we might be going to Zara that day and that's great and that's (laughs) fine. Um, So I do think that it's been really liberating for me to work in that like high net worth luxury world, but um, just kind of trying to to democratize it for everybody. That's exciting. What are you working on right now? Oh, wow. Well, Fashion Week is steadily approaching. So I leave for Copenhagen in two days. Um, They have a really lovely fashion month there, or Fashion Week there, that's pretty up and coming. There's a lot of like new kind of interesting, cool girl brands like Ghani and Saks Potts and Holtzweiler that are taking over. And so it'll be nice to meet with those brands in person and see everything kind of unfold. Um, so that's always fun, but you know, fashion month can be quite crazy. I know Paulus and I see each other at many events. Um, and I'm like, Hey, I got to go to this thing, but I'll see you at the next thing. She goes to way, way, way more than I do. (laughs) (laughs) You're sweet. No, but yeah, I think this season for me, it's also like, it's really great to have a great team in place to support me. And I think that I'm also just trying to slow down a bit. So I'm trying to go about this fashion month a little bit differently and just like, make space for myself and like time to relax and not, not overdoing it, not reinventing the wheel. Um, Cause I think we can all just get caught up in things like that, where you're just going, going, going. And it's like, Oh, but I have to go to that party. I have to go to this thing. And it's like, if you're not, you know, spending time with yourself and checking in on yourself then like nothing else is nothing else matters that much, you know, protecting the energy. Another oh, yeah. thing that we talk about often and something that gets even more important as you get a little bit older. For sure. um, now, when you go to these events, do you typically have to write up, you don't have to write about the events anymore because- mm-hmm. Yeah, not anymore. So that was, I mean, there are different media outlets that do cover parties, but I, Editorialist is not one of them. Um, just being, you know, a smaller publication, we kind of focus less on news and we do a lot more of like evergreen shopping content. So like we're going to make the case for like the two best designer slides that you can buy. And like, that'll be true probably two years from now. Like it'll, it's really an evergreen approach to style because that's our point of view. So like moment by moment, day to day coverage, it's less our speed, but we still love going to all the events. I think it's really something in my career that I cherish and I love connecting with people in real life and seeing beautiful things. And so for me, it's a treat to go and be able to attend things like that. But yeah, I don't have to work at them. So I can just, you know, pop around with my little champagne glass and see friends and catch up with brands and all of that good stuff. Well, I think it's important for the brands to see you there as well, Mm -hmm. you know, to keep those relationships alive. And I think also as we're, we all grow in our careers, it's connections that get us to the next step. And we'd love to hear from you about what you might be thinking about doing next. Oh, wow. That's a good (laughs) one. I think for me, you know, it's, it's been an interesting year. I think this was a very big foundational year for me as a person. And so like, really what I'm just trying to think through is like, what is going to add up to like a meaningful life for me. And then doing that, leading into that when I make career choices and like trying to think through, it doesn't have to be the splashiest publication or the splashiest title or this or that. Like 
if it sustains me and like brings me joy, then that's perfect. And like, I have that right now, which is so great. So like, I'm not trying to mess with that formula too much, um, which I, you know, we'll see what comes. Of course, I'm always open to opportunities, but I think I really like where I am and I want to just kind of put energy towards things that will support the growth that I'm trying to do, you know, the things I'm like moving through. So very mature. Thank you. <laughs> I was just going to say, I wish I was as mature as she is. Very Emotionally mature at that age. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Very mature and, and, and sustainable and you're really blessed. So my question is, what point in your life do you feel or experiences in your life have led you to be able to have this very grounded and centered mindset? Thank you, first of all. I appreciate <laughs> the kind words. Um, I think that, I mean, my life has had its twists and turns and I think that I've always kind of been someone who has like a certain like center of gravity with things that I do and like what I spend my time on. But I think like anyone else, it's easy to get caught up. But for me, and part of what I'm sure Paula would love to chat more about being how like she and I came to know each other so well, um, I had ovarian cancer when I was in high school. I was diagnosed when I was 16. And having that kind of occur at such a pivotal time when you're like really becoming a woman, figuring out what you want to do in this life, in this world. It was really, you know, something that changed my life a lot. And it's something I still am processing and figuring out like what those effects really were. But I think it beyond all, like it made me somebody who wanted to make the most of every day and really like achieve things and just like give myself every chance to make feel like rewarded and like have fun and laugh and all of that good stuff. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and thank goodness that you are well. Are we healthy and yes, well now? All and we well. beat all of that? And yes. I'm nine years in remission now, which is so exciting. So next year will be a little bit of a bigger celebration, That's I'm a sure. Big celebration. Yes. We're throwing a party. A yes. World's Your Oyster celebration party for I love you, it. my girl. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. So I, I, and the reason why Danielle and I have kind of gone through this together is that, you know, I've known Danielle since, since she's a kid and we grew up in the same community and her and my mother actually were diagnosed with cancer together. So mm -hmm. they went through a lot of their treatments together and they connected and they bonded through this, you know, really terrible time. And unfortunately I was in my own career and I kind of needed to escape because it was very heavy. And I'm so grateful to know that you were there with mm -hmm. her and um, you know, just walk us through a little bit of what that might have been like for you being 16 years old and having to go through something that was so incredibly heavy. How did you navigate that time of your life? And, you know, what types of support systems did you lean into um, to get through? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first of all, it goes without saying that Rose, your mother, is one of my favorite people on this earth as well. Um, and so the fact that I had somebody who she has so much zest for life. And like, so I think for she and I both going through it, um, it was nice to have somebody who really understood because I think what can happen is like with any illness, there's always stigmas attached to it that people might not understand unless they've been through it. So it's like, you know, just because you do have cancer, it doesn't mean that you're like, you know, your personality is gone. So I think for me, there was kind of this identity crisis of feeling like people would look at me like, oh, like sad puppy. And I'd be like, no, I'm kind of like, I can be a bitch sometimes. Like, like I'm not like someone who's just like, mm, yeah, like for me, I'm right. right. I'm 16 years old. 16 year old girls are like fire. They're, they're kind of tough. Like, yeah. So I had that fieriness to me, and I think I really resisted and rejected a lot of the stigmas that were associated with the illness, which I think Susan Sontag has written about it. I think it's like not talked about enough, but I do think it's part of why having that illness is so hard, and I think having it at such a young age for me was really difficult because it's like you're trying to fit in, you're trying to do school and like, you know, have friends and like be in a relationship and do all these things that normal 16 year old girls want to do, go to prom. And it's just like, you don't have that same opportunity because one, you're immunocompromised. So you're an at-risk person. You can't, I couldn't go to school for like almost the entire year of junior year and senior year. So mm. for me, it was like being so isolated, you know, being really insecure about how I, how my appearance was because I lost all of my hair. Um, all of that was really difficult for me. And it, it's something that I really am only coming to see now, like how it affected me as a person. And like, so I think there's two things that kind of came from it. And it's like, yes, on one hand, I like came out of that experience and I was like, wow, I'm going to just like grab life by the balls and like do everything that comes my way. 
um, really make the most of every opportunity. Like if I have the chance to go live in Panama in the jungle, I'm going to do it. And like I did, like that's something that I was like, yeah, I'm not going to say no to things. Like I want to put myself out there. But I think there was also this sense of like needing to shape the way people saw me or like reclaim a different version of being seen from like being in earlier when I was sick, I was very insecure about the way I was perceived and girls in school were not nice and would say awful things. And which is just crazy to think about, but it's high school, you know, like I'm sure I said like mean things too as as a high schooler, but it was just like, it made it really hard, I think, to be already like so sick. And then you're going through like the social part of it as well. And that, so for me, when I came out of it, I was like, not only do I want to just like seize life and really do everything I can, but I also want to change the way I'm, I'm seen. So I like went to Rutgers, like full rebrand, you know, like kind of was like, all right. And especially like in the fashion world and like the way you're perceived, I think is a big part of like my career. And so I think there is a certain level of cachet or level of confidence that like for so long I had gotten from my job or from, you know, my school or like my travels or things that I like clung to as like my new identity, just so people wouldn't look at the past because it was like so painful. So I think now it's only like 10 years later that I'm like, oh my gosh, like I kind of left that girl in the dust. Like this, you know, she didn't do anything wrong. Like she was just trying her best to like survive. And for me, it's like kind of going back and like trying to include her more in my life now and think about how she would have felt about things and like reconnecting with that person has been like a very emotional experience for me, but it's been really important because I think that like, for so long, it was easier to just be like, I'm in, I'm in this part of my career. I'm in this part of my life. And like, you know, keep moving forward. Don't look back, but I can't, like, it's part of who I am. And to your point, like it has shaped me. It has shaped the person I've become and like the things I care about and the things I spend my time on. And like, so yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. So you are fully inner childing that young girl. Oh yeah. (laughs) We're doing the self-parenting. We're doing all the things. But look who she created. It's beautiful. And she came with you and it's really, and it's very brave Mm. for you to go back and bring her along on that journey because she does deserve to come along with you. And she is proud. (laughs) Thank you. And I think it's really amazing. And thank you for sharing that story. And I actually hung up on the young girls that were mean to you in high school. Oh yeah. I want to go kick their ass. It's like the same people who like add me on LinkedIn to this day. I'm like, oh, it's so weird that like now you want to be That's friends. That's amazing. You know? But I try to just, I mean, I think it's one of those things, if I've learned anything from that experience, it's just that like people, you know, they, they may mean well, they may not always like do the right thing or make the right choices. But like in the end of the day, it's like if they don't have to know kind of like what it's like to go through something like that, like if they could say certain things, it's like they clearly have an experience like that level of pain. And like, I'm kind of happy for them in that way. Like I, I am like, all right, that's all right. You can't understand. I'm glad I don't want people to have to understand what we've all gone through because right. it's awful. So like, I've kind of just chosen to forgive people who can't relate and like who might say the wrong thing and like do the wrong thing. Cause it's just like, it's, you know, it's too much to hang on to that pain and be like hurt by it as I was at that time in my life. Like I have to just, you know, let it go and wish them well. Very, very mature. Thank you. It's, and sometimes I want to be like, eh, let's go, let's go beat up those people. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling that too for you. Yeah. Well, call us when you want to. We've got your back. Perfect. <laughs> so I, I think, think you do good in a fight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the three of us can make up about 250 pounds. All yeah. There we go. <laughs> Put some weights on the ankles and we'll we'll, we'll kick it away. (laughs) But I wanted to just share and just um, share a moment because you and I are just meeting each other really for for the first time. Mm -hmm. And and I lost my mother to cancer when I was 19 years old. So Mm -hmm. on the other side of that, I then became that person who was like, I was a 19-year-old young girl who then turned adult kind of the second that she passed away. And I went directly into the work mode as well to identify myself as like, I am the strong girl who didn't lose her mother mm-hmm. and who can carry on her legacy and who can be just as powerful and and no one has to worry about me. And so later in life now, I'm doing the exact same thing as you are, is going back and, and taking that 19-year-old girl and being like, you did a great job, yeah. but like- and but giving her the, the things that she missed out on when she was that young, because that definitely is you miss you miss out on certain aspects of of normalcy. I'm making right. air quotes, you know. But I think it's really beautiful, and I think that that's why we all kind of relate with each other here, because all of the parts of our lives that we've experienced are 
that, that young that young girl within you is coming along for that ride from now until forever. Right. So recognizing her and her importance is immense. And you're lucky that you're doing this now because <laughs> I'm also it. older than you. And it took me up until now to go right. back to that 19 year old girl. So you're very fortunate. What tools and practices, like how did you get here? Who, who was your rallier? Who, mm-hmm. who was the, the source that actually helped you that come to these aspects? I know we, I know it's not one person, but like your top three, let's say. Yeah. So I would say for me, I think this, this past year, like 2022 was a lot of realization for me. Like I, went through a breakup, um, you know, I was living on my own for the first time, really always had roommates in the past. And so it was kind of this time to just like really, you know, go back and like my therapist, who's definitely one of the people I'd, I'd, I'd shout out for being so wonderful and helpful. If anyone on the air needs a recommendation, yeah. hit me up. Um, but for me, it was kind of just this time to say, okay, what things have I, like she uses the analogy of like, imagine that you're holding a lot of stuff and, you know, you drop something along the way. And if, if you're not picking things up as you go, then you're going to turn around and be like, oh my God, I dropped all this shit and I have to go pick all that back up. So it's like, even if you're in the moment and you're going through something, but you're not dealing with it, you're going to still have to deal with it. It just might be later. And it might be like way bigger of a thing by then because you really embedded it and just mm-hmm. kind of like shrugged it off. So for me, this was the year of like going and picking everything back up. And it's like thinking about, yeah, I've always been like that overachiever. I've always had that kind of like, performance orientation of like having a great job, being a great student, all of that. But I'm like, and I think there's the obvious why of having been sick and like using that kind of to fuel me through life, which is beautiful. But then I think there's that other underbelly of it, which is like a lot more painful. And so Mm -hmm. sitting with that, I think is really important. And I love what you said about like giving yourself those experiences that you didn't get to have at that age, because it is true. And it's really hard to, I think even in ways, I think it's harder to watch someone suffer than to be the one suffering. Absolutely. And I always say to like my sister and my mom and dad who had to be there and watch me go through it and they can't, you can't do anything and it's really powerless. And so all I would always want is just to be like, guys, I'm fine. And even if something happens and I'm not fine, like I need you like to know that I want you to be fine, you know, and I'm sure your mom would want that too. Thank you. And I, I said, absolutely. But I never, I never thought of it like that. So I actually take back my agreement. <laughs> like, wait. <laughs> like, wait, I never thought of it like that because I think that that's just quite beautiful because I've never actually spoken to someone who went through an illness and to have that viewpoint because right. I think the feeling is very mutual. Everybody just wants everybody to feel okay. And right. everybody just wants the other person to, we all feel helpless in those moments, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And and I had those exact feelings where I was like, I just can't help my mother and I there's nothing that I can do in this state. And all she wanted to do was make sure that I was okay and vice versa. So yep. I think it's a, it's a communal helplessness. It absolutely is. And That's, I know, Paula, that you can probably relate to that feeling as well of not, not being able to be you know, as help, you can't take someone's pain away, you no. know, you can't. And it's, that's the unfortunate thing of life, you know, is that just being able to be there and like help people through things is, is really enough. And it, it's hard to not be able to say, oh, I want to, my mom used to say to me, I want to take that on. I don't want you to have to be feeling in that bed. She's like, I wish it could be me. And I'd be like, well, I don't, you know, like, yeah. we could talk, yeah. go back and forth all day, but I, you know, it's just, I think supporting one another and like finding that support system, whether that's in like found family or your true family, mm-hmm. it makes such a difference in being able to heal from things like that, that are just like so inexplicably awful. Yes. Yeah. All right, my girl. Let's pick it up. You, des- <laughs> you deserve every wonderful thing every. that you have in your life. Thank though, truly. you. And it like you are wise beyond your years. And I'm just so happy that you are healthy. And Thank I'm you. so happy to to know you truly. And to have watched you on your journey now as uh, an adult mm-hmm. is it's wonderful. And I know that you are going to be an incredible human being. Thank you are you. powerful. Powerful. There's a lot of power in this apartment. Powerful. And it goes back to what you guys said earlier about like the imposter syndrome or like having people around you who remind you that you are powerful. Like hearing that from you guys who I respect so immensely means a lot to me. So I think it's just nice to have that community of women who uplifts each other and is like, oh my God, you did that. That's that's crazy. And like, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, that is kind of wild. Like, yes, so. it's important. I mean, you already went through something that was so major. So I feel like anything that comes after this is a, a cakewalk. Exactly. Except for the toxic men. Except for that. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but even them, I'm like, let's not even give them more power. Like, they kind of, eh, whatever. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Do we want to talk shit about men? I mean, maybe not. A little, not but... one by name. Not mm-hmm. ones by name, but like, do we want to have like some dating? We can do some men talk. Okay. Yeah. So, so what is going on? What is? Um, yeah, I'm not seeing anybody right now, and it's been so amazing. I think for me, I think a, a way in which I have coped with what I've gone through is by kind of like redirecting energy I could have been spending on myself, like putting it on into a relationship or in, onto a, even into friendships that like were more all-consuming or like codependent and like. So I think this stage for me has just been kind of like, whoa, let me actually try to like take that back and redirect it to me. And like not, and I think it's hard because I'm the kind of person where I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to be selfish and I want to like give and like be there for other people. But I think it can go too far when you're like, oh, I suddenly have nothing left. Like I've given all I have to, you know, my partner or my friend or this relative or so I think for me right now, after having like a very serial dating kind of life for my whole life. Um, I've just been like, yeah, let's see what happens when I am like really, really single. And it's been very enlightening and really just amazing. I think that I didn't know how much I needed to kind of do that, you know? And like now I adore my alone time in a way that like you, I think early on, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I just going to live alone and be alone all the time? And I'm like, now I'm like, oh yeah, we're doing Gilmore Girls tonight. We're doing facials or like... I can give myself all those things. And like that I think is the biggest thing. And I think for women, it becomes hard because I think in my mind, I'd always be like, well, I'll never be able to afford the apartment on my own or I'll never be able to like give myself those things that like I really want in this life. And nothing like, I think, yes, I love fashion. All that's great. But like, I'm not someone who gets like a ton of value from a physical item. So like, I I don't need the new bag. I don't need the new, like I enjoy it absorbing the beauty. I like seeing things on set, but I'm like, I've could live pretty simple. Like I think the rest. So I'm like, to me, giving myself the life that I thought I couldn't is looks like being able to like pay my rent, being able to, you know, go into really great dinners with my friends. Like that's my favorite. Like I'm a, such a foodie. I love trying new restaurants. Like, so those are the kinds of things now that I'm like, oh, my relationship with myself is so different because I'm actually like showing up for myself in new ways and like learning that I'm able to provide in ways I didn't think I was. Um, but yeah, I think for me with like men in general, um, my mom and I kind of talk a lot about like dating. And for me, like, I think my whole life, I've just been kind of like, I just want to be chosen. That's like been the the undertone and it's something I'm only really realizing now. And I'm like, why? Like, can't I just choose myself? You know, like, I don't know what it was, but I was like, well, maybe if I date someone who's more like this or more like that, or like, you know, then I'll really feel that sense of inner peace. And it's like, no, you won't, (laughs) you know, like, I'm like, that doesn't work but you don't know as you're going through it. And then you look back and you're like, whoa, that was a lot. So like, I think for me, I feel like I've learned a lot from all of my relationships and I'm thankful to all of all the people I've like, you know, been in them with, but you know, there's nothing better than being like, I'm going to redirect. And um, I recently, like this past week, my uncle passed away, which is like, he was tragically killed by a drunk driver. And he was just the kind of man that like, you know, he was such a special person and he was such an honest man and so loving, like never would say a bad thing about anyone in his life. Like loved his wife so much, would talk about how much he loved her, loved the kids, the grandkids, like just such no hate in his heart and just like such a true person. And I think losing him has kind of been this moment for me where I'm like, not only do I want to live more like him, but like I want to choose people to be in my life who like have some of those same qualities. Cause like I see this legacy he built and how wonderful of an impact he had on people. So like that's kind of impacted me personally in a big way, but also with like the partners I probably will choose. I'm going to be like looking for certain qualities that I wasn't before where I was kind of just like, oh, well, this will be fun, you know? (laughs) But yeah, no, I think there's always room for um, just like exploring and seeing new people and like you always learn about yourself through it, but yeah. Well, wait for you to take a horrible thing that's happened to you and just turn it into a learning moment. And thank I, you. Sorry yeah. about your uncle. Yes, well, thank you. Sounds I like such an amazing that. man. Yeah, I appreciate He was the best, truly. Um, I really do appreciate it. And we have a very strong family unit. Like, you know, everyone keeps saying to my, my mom, like, oh my gosh. And my mom's like, I've been through a lot, you know, like yeah. she helped me through everything. And right. so it's kind of just like all being there for one another. And I think as you get older, you realize the importance of family in such a different way. And how much like I cherish that time has like grown exponentially even in like my last few years of life. So um, trying to just spend more time with my family out on Long Island, like that's a big priority for me this year. So 
We're going to be sharing Ubers out there. Yes, we've already talked about it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's something that I feel that I am, as I'm getting older as well, my parents are getting older. I feel that family is the most important thing. And I think that we lose sight of that as we're going through our own lives, especially living here in New York City. Everything is so fast paced. And we think that, Mm -hmm. you know, getting to that event is more important than seeing our parents. But to be honest with you, you never know what's going to happen with your parents, you know, and nobody knows that better than Mo. And, you know, we have to take the time to go out there and spend the time with the people that we love. And, you know, if it's a $200 Uber that you got to share with a friend, you you should do it like once every three weeks because- Time is is precious and life is short and it's about family. And you'll never regret investing that time. I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, I want to be intentional with the time I'm spending on things. So like, yes, if I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't make it to like, that publicist's birthday party, like what I'm, oh and I get so like, they're going to hate me. Or like, I'm like, you know, I need to go. And I'm like, in the end, in like the end of life, like, Mm -hmm. am I really going to be twisted about this? Like now, but I will be if I'm like missing something that mattered to my mom or or anyone else in my family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. You nailed it on the head with that one. And I struggle (laughs) with this, with the same thing. And the truth is, is that yes, at the end of it all, you're not going to be thinking of any of those things. You're going to be thinking of the amazing times that you spend with your mom, with your uncle, with your cousins and Absolutely. And I think that's the interesting part of having a really robust life and a huge career that like you feel like takes up a lot of space. And, you know, it's, it's really exciting to have that, but I'm trying to, you want to hold that in one place and also like the other things that are important to me. And I'm sure both of you lovely ladies know a lot about that. Cause I think when you are really career oriented and really motivated, it can be easy to just go all in, you know? Absolutely. It is. It's more of an effort at times to pull yourself back and and find the balance with, with the family and with yourself. Right. It's the, it's the aloneness with yourself. That's difficult. And I think that young, I think younger generations are becoming a little bit more aware of how important it is. But for, for us at times, it was not a conversation that was had, I think in our generation. And that's it. I think for sure, as we were, you guys were saying, um, that, oh, you're so far ahead and like realizing some of these things. I'm like, I think a lot of people are talking about that relationship with the self, like self-parenting, like going back and doing the things that, you know, like being there for the person who was wounded as a child that you like haven't really resolved yet. Like that seems like something that's becoming really popular. And I feel like now I've been like chatting with friends of mine who've experienced trauma in their early lives. And like, we've all kind of been like moving through this healing journey together and it sounds so crunchy. And like, sometimes I'll hear someone on the subway saying things that like, I've definitely said at some point, I'm like, oh my God, give me a break, you know? But like, it's true and it's so universal. I think it's like, you can always like kind of bring it back to those moments. And I think being able to do that with the people you love, like it can be really cathartic. And I think it's nice to see other people on those journeys and like them resolving things and them working through hard stuff. Absolutely. Well, please invite Monica to your <laughs> yeah. circle. <laughs> Absolutely. This is my hard language. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, to me though, I'm like, I feel like I have not, not many conditions with people in my life. Like I, I love, every, I love people and I have a lot of different kinds of friends, but I'm like, we have to be able to have like real conversations. Like we have to be able to talk about the hard stuff because yes. if you're like, you know, kind of in a bad place, I need to be able to tell you and you need to be able to hear that. And I hope my friends can do that for me too. You know, it's like, right. it's like that sisterhood you have to be able to have with the people in your life. Mm-hmm. I'm all about this new way of being like super honest with people. Mm. Even, even Mo, Mo and I have learned so much about each other this week. We've known each other for 13 years, but like- We've gone deep, we've even gone, deeper. Oh. We've gone even deeper, but I think that that's what it's all about. If we can't be honest with our friends and ourselves, then what are we doing? Right. There's something I read once as a child and it stuck with me. Something about like, you know, when you are lying, if you tell a lie, it's because you're trying to like keep someone from realizing something about yourself that like you haven't quite gotten to yet. So like mm-hmm. whether it's like, oh, I can't make it to this because like, you know, if I'm like saying I can't come to a family obligation because I'm so busy, I'm like, maybe there's something and it's not true. Like, Maybe there's something in there that I'm like not willing to accept and sit with yet. So a lot of times I find myself needing to either like be dishonest with a friend or like myself. I try to like walk it back and be like, okay, what's behind that? Like what's the thing underneath it that I'm not talking about or thinking about? Brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. Basically the conversation I have with myself every day. Like if you two don't exchange numbers at the end of this, like we're doing it. Yeah. This is like the dump before Paula came into my apartment and I was like, with all of my vulnerability and right. for her she can take it in doses she's getting better and better but at a, at a certain moment I see the I see the 
eyes like glazing over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what? My friends just are the same way. They're like, Danielle, you've really gotten into it this time. Like, please give me a second to come up for air. I'm like, but there's so much to My container's that. large. Give me a call. Right. <laughs> I'm glad. No, and I think, you know, you always have to have those friends who have like a lot of room for your like emotional labor or whatever they say now, but it's like, what is it? Emotional, emotional labor? labor. I've never oh heard of this before. I feel like it's becoming a thing. I was reading, I mean, I spent so much time Googling stuff like this clearly, but like, I like, there's looking at, you know, I have friends who are going through really hard things and they'll immediately be like, call, I'm like that friend that they call and it's like, oh my gosh, this happened. This, my ex did this. And I'm like, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I can't carry all your stuff. I got to carry my stuff. So yes. like they say, it's like, oh, if you're going to do emotional labor for people, like mm-hmm. they say it in the workplace now, or it's like, oh, if someone's venting to you at work, it's like, this is not part of my job. <laughs> but The I'm, vampires. Yeah. The vampires. But I'm one of those people, they call it like a toxic handler. And I think the name kind of makes it sound worse than it is, but it's like when people have to vent or when they have hard stuff going on, like I'm the one who like kind of makes it okay or does something about it, whether it is in the workplace or in my friend group or like life, family, relationships. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, I can't hold other people's stuff. I gotta, I have to be like, I'm so sorry, but like, that's your pain. And this, like, I can't take it on, you know? It's learning new boundaries. Yeah. And that's with growth and life in general. And as we get older, like we can't keep as many tabs open. And then the tabs that we do have open in our mind and in our, in our lives are just a little bit more dense and heavier and they hold more space yeah. like in the motherboard. So right. realistically you can't, and it's a lesson that you're, that you're aware of that. So right. it's huge. I love that. The tabs being open because we, we all live with many, many tabs open at once. And it's like, you got to clear that out. Sometimes. You have to clear it out and curate what's going to reopen yeah. in there. Or your computer's going to crash your internal hard drive. <laughs> Listen, when all else fails, just talk shit about them. Right. That's what I do. <laughs> Paula's like, and we're back. I mean, I've learned that from my mother. Just talk shit about them and then you'll feel better about yourself. And it's perfect. It's all good. And you're and then you're cured. Like less bills, less bills for the therapist, less bills for the spiritual healers, less bills for the tarot card people. Just right, cut right to the Has anyone seen my Excel spreadsheet? (laughs) Billing. Right, exactly. Oh man, I know. That's I, I mean, so many of my friends were like, you know. I want to start to see a therapist, but it's expensive. I'm like, yeah, but it's like the biggest I, and best investment ever. It's the best investment, right? I'm like, guys, you're gonna spend it at the bar, like just, right. and then you're gonna be drunk crying to me. So like, please, <laughs> and I'm not getting paid. So please right. just pay the person who does this. Like. Well, also, and just so people know out there, I hope that everybody knows this. Uh, Headspace, uh, not Headspace. What is the the online BetterHelp? Yeah, mm-hmm. they have financial help on BetterHelp. So if you go on BetterHelp and you say, I only make. X amount of dollars a year, they will. Um, they work pay. with you. Yeah, yeah, they they wow. they help you. So and they're that. a great network. I use them. It was phenomenal. Yeah, really? mm-hmm. that's yeah. so good to know. Hundred percent. So tell your friends to get on there and get some financial aid. There we go. I'll be <laughs> on that for sure. Right. Or you just send them your Venmo link and they can just pay you instead. Yeah. No, <laughs> she doesn't like, want to carry their shit. Like, this is a billable hour. Like literally, right, but that deters. They don't. They get the hint. Right. It's like, oh, can I talk to you? It's like, well, do you have twenty five to forty five dollars for a copay? <laughs> I'm dead. Sometimes it's just, I'm a little bit busy right now emotionally. Ooh, that's a good good one. one. That's a good one. I'm Uh emotionally busy Busy. right now. Yeah. I'm not free that day. I like that better than the holding space. I'm so over that. Right. It's like, I'm done with that. It sounds icky, but I like emotion. What did you say? Emotional. I don't remember. We got to roll it back. I don't remember. That's how my brain works. It goes in and out. And then I'm like, did someone write that down? Put that on a shirt or something like emotionally I'm busy. I'm emotionally busy. I'm gonna get that on a LL Bean tote. There we, go. <laughs> there we go. I'll get it for you for Christmas Love next it. year. Amazing. <laughs> well, I think that we should go to our last little rapid fire questions. Yes. What do you say? Unless is there anything else you want to share? Oh, I feel like I've shared it all. No, <laughs> no. I mean, this honestly, we are we are so lucky to have had you because I think that both Mo and I have learned so much, and I think that everybody will learn a lot from you. So you. these are just some fun questions that we put together. I'm going to let Mo kick, kick it off. We start off with, what are the three things that you think most about every day? Oh, wow. Um, I would say what I'm going to make for dinner because I hate to cook. And I'm like, oh my God, like that definitely deters me a lot. I think about... Um, reconnecting with myself from a mindfulness standpoint. So trying to do the little rituals that like help me feel centered. Um, So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I just, I think the third would be family, you know, like thinking about how my sister's doing, my mom, my dad, 
um, contact, talking to them, you know, that's always top of mind for me. Beautiful. Okay. If you had a warning label, what would it be? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would be, um, what is it? Emotionally busy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love it. Love that. Tie it with the bow. Love. That's perfect. That's so good. And what is one thing that you would never do again? Ooh, never do again. Um, scuba dive. I really stand by this. I think you can just snorkel. I don't think you've got to go all the way to the bottom of the ocean. I think it's it's fine. Like I can re- see the fish from the top and not underneath, and I'm equally fulfilled. I don't I don't understand. So I've really made this clear to my. I have a very adventurous family, and my dad's like, I want to skydive. I want to do this, and I'm like, you guys go and like, and I love adventure. I think it's great, but but yeah. Scuba diving's off the list for me. Did you try it once? <laughs> yes, as a ch- oh. as a kid, and I was so like, I was like, this is awful. I cannot. I don't know if anyone out there has scuba dive, but like, you can't breathe. Like the whole time, you're like, <gasps> and so I was like, I'm just gonna go to the top. Like I left. I was like, bye guys. They were like, you can't leave. I was like, I mean, I am. I, so. am. <laughs> I won't yeah. even snorkel. So okay, I was that the one. Feel better. You know when you go on like a cruise with your family and they have like the stingray beach and everybody gets out and they like do this little thing with the fish and the hands yeah. and they like suck the. So my family was doing that and I get we get there and I was like, I'm not getting off the boat. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we're, we're, my dad was like, pull, get off the boat now, <laughs> and I was like. Absolutely not. Why would I go out there with like a bunch of stingrays? Like, yeah. no, no. No. no, we're just not doing adventure. Right. We're we're being emotionally adventurous. Right. <laughs> we're gonna try as much as we can, but we're not scuba diving. No. We're, we're not even Goodness. snorkeling. It's good to know yourself too, and be like, that's just not for me. Like, being no. self aware is good, and being that includes self- not hanging out with stingrays, and that's fine. Yeah, no. If it, if anything involves putting your thumb in your finger with a fish in the middle and having it sucked <laughs> through by like a stingray it, or anything in life. It's not for me. Yeah. It's wild. You've never done it? No. no. Oh, me God. either. Well, <laughs> well, on the Carnival Cruise Line, you could do that for $17.99. I'm dead. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for bringing me on all those cruises. It's amazing. I think our last... Oh, you want to go? No. You got one more? Mm-mm, no, our last question. Go for it. How do you take your oysters? Oh, I don't. <laughs> I will say I have a few friends who've been really trying to get me to, to enjoy oysters. So they've just been dressing it up with everything on earth, hot sauce. And I'm like, okay, I can almost pretend I don't want to die for this exact moment. But <laughs> you know what? Oysters are not for everybody. They're not. I mean, I'm going to just commit to them now just for you because I feel like I have to really commit to this episode and that's my next thing. That'll be the next thing I try. <laughs> no, 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 no. You have, you have filled our cups more. You don't need to do anything with oysters. Danielle. <laughs> We love you. We really do. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I love you Thank you you for sharing your story. Of course. Thank you for giving me the space to share it. Of (laughs) course. And I hope that one day we get to read a beautiful essay about everything that you've gone through. You really should do it. I've been, yeah. That's that's some of my homework for myself. Write more for me about me. Amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to World's Your Oyster. If you love what you're listening to, be sure to like, rate, and review this episode wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow us on Instagram at World's Your Oyster. And share this episode with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Bye-bye.